Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message. Our hope with this content is that it would help you come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. If you're grateful for this word, be sure to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and also you can partner with what Jesus is doing here at Elevate City through giving. There's a link below for that as well. Here's today's message. I can't wait for you to hear it. Touch your neighbor, say, you're so loved. Touch your other neighbor, say, you're so beautiful. Now maybe you got you a date. Maybe you got you a date. You know, uh, talking about the love in our the love of God in our day and age can be rather complicated. Talking about the love of God in our day and age can be relatively complex. Because very quickly, when you talk about the love of God, it gets watered down with cliches and with half-truths. For some people, when you talk about the love of God, it seems like tired and kind of worn out. Like, come on, bro, we get it. God loves us. Like, it's tired, it's old, it feels like the same old song and dance. And so the love of God just feels like it's kind of the shallow end. And you think to yourself, can we move on to deeper things? Can we move on to heavier things than just talking about the love of God? And if you're in that camp tonight, I just want you to know that Paul, in, um, in the book of Ephesians chapter three, he prays this prayer for you. And this is what he prays uh, in Ephesians 3.18. He says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The Bible says the love of God is heavy. It's like so heavy that you need something supernatural to happen on your insides for you to be able to understand it. The Bible says that the love of God is beyond understanding. So tell me real quick tonight, how are you supposed to explain something that you yourself can't comprehend and that is beyond understanding? Yeah, me either. I guess I'll see y'all next week, okay? No, tonight I want for you to know that the love of God is not the shallow end of Christianity. The love of God is the deep end of Christianity. The love of God is, something, is not something that you ever graduate from. It's something that you're always trying to dive deeper and deeper into. But for most of us, I don't think we're in that camp. I think that most of us, when we hear the topic of love, uh, and the love of God get, getting brought up, I think that we're in the same camp that the people of Malachi were in. I think we ask God the same question that the people of Malachi asked God. Malachi chapter one, verse two says this. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? I think that most people, when they hear about the love of God, they ask that question. They ask, how has he loved us? Where has he loved us? When did he love us? Because I sure don't see it. I definitely don't feel it. I don't have a real sense for it. How has God loved us? How could God love us? Why would God love us? How has he loved us? I wanna preach a message for you tonight titled, How He Loves, How He 
loves. In week one of this series, we looked at quite possibly the most famous verse in the Bible in regards to the love of God, John 3, 16. But tonight, I wanna spend the next 316 minutes showing, just playing, showing you every part of the Bible, how much God loves you. I want for you to see that the love of God is dynamic tonight, that it is not static, that it is not dull, that it is not tired, that it is not worn out, that it is not less than, that it is not the shallow end, but that it is what your soul has been searching for. I wanna show you the love of God like a diamond. I wanna turn it around and show you all of the beautiful dimensions of the love of God. Like my hope tonight is that you would leave knowing that you know that you know how he loves you. I want for you to know that the love of God isn't just ambiguous, that it is not distant or far off. It is not cliche. It is deep and it is wide and it is wild and it is beautiful and it is very, very, very costly. You see, we have far too ambiguous of an understanding of God. And I want to rescue you tonight from some of the cultural norms and cliches that turns love into a pat on the back that lets you do whatever you want. I wanna rescue you tonight from an understanding of love and the love of God that would allow you to walk in your sin free from consequences because that is not love, that is enablement. I want for you to know the biblical, the deep, the rich, the everlasting love of God tonight like you've never known it before. And I hope that at the end of tonight, you see that it is not ambiguous, it is not vague, but that it is specific and dynamic, that it is personal and proven, that it is evident and intimate, that it is wild and that it is relentless and that it is what you've been looking for. Like, I don't care how old you are tonight and I don't care how put together you may look. I don't care how well you're doing at the office or how manly you may seem at the gym. His love is what you're looking for tonight. It is the reason, listen, it is the reason that every, at the end of every football game, when the team wins, 300 pound men are running all over the field just looking for someone to hug. Just looking for love, right? Because it doesn't matter how manly you are, this is what you need in your life. You can't outrun it and you don't outgrow it. In um, 2015, Doreen Lucky, and um, George Kirby tied the knot, making them the world's only, oldest newlyweds. At the ages of 103 and 91, you don't outgrow this. It never stops. It's not something that was just sold to you by the Disney Channel. You were created for love, made for love, designed for love, destined for love. Love is big business, you know? Love is big business. Love is the topic of almost every TV show and a song and a movie. I mean, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling have made entire careers just selling love, haven't they? You can, you can find yourself like watching an action movie. Like the other day, like my wife and I, we sat down and we were watching this really great action movie and about 20 minutes into the movie, I realized this is just a love story disguised as an action movie. Because we are so desperate for love that the world is trying to sell us love at every single corner. You see, most people will spend their whole lives looking for love, but they'll end up settling for counterfeit versions of it. 
We'll work so hard to try to earn the approval of our boss at work and we'll work out so hard in the gym and diet ourselves to death so that someone, anyone will tell us that we're beautiful. Many of us will settle for these counterfeit toxic versions of love through sex or a one night stand or pornography or an emotional affair because we're looking for love, hungry for love, starving for love. And tonight, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you, that he really and truly loves you. And he loves you with the love that you were created for. He loves you with the love that you're longing for. He loves you with a love that this world cannot offer you. You can't find this kind of love on the internet. You can't find it on Tinder or on Christian Mingle or anywhere for that matter. It is otherworldly kind of love. Love that he left heaven and came to earth to show you. I want to do everything that I can to try to wear you out tonight with the word of God so that you know that you know that you know that he loves you. I want to show you how he loves. Let's just start in the beginning. Let me show you how he loves you. In uh, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Genesis tells us that God loves us as a creator loves his creation. God loves us as an artist loves their art, as a craftsman loves his craft, as an inventor loves their invention, as a potter loves the clay. Think about this for a second. Like you are God's baby. You're his pet project. You are the crown of his creation. Like if God was like had an investment portfolio, he might sell off the duck-billed platypus, okay? That's very funny, y'all, okay? He made the duck-billed platypus. He would sell it off in his portfolio. But he's keeping his hands on you. He loves you the way that an artist loves their art, the way that a creator loves his creation. He's going, you're mine. I made you. I put you together. I'm proud of you. And I made you in my image. I made you to like look like me. Like I look at you and I see myself in you. And I made nothing else to look like this. This is how much I love you. I put my affection on you. I put my identity on you. I put my resemblance upon you. The same way that like when a parent, like Kayla and I debate all the time, like which one of our kids look more like me? All of them do, okay? I just have dominant genetics, all right? So I'm just kidding, baby. A couple of them look a little more like you now. But, but there's this great affection when you look into the eyes of your kid and you know that they look like you and God's going, I created you in my image to look like me, to look at you and for you to reflect me because that is how much I love you. You look like him tonight. What a beautiful way that God loves us, but he loves us more than that. You see, in the beginning, the Trinity got together. And if you look at that verse, it says, let us make man in our own image. And so this is great theology for you to know that you were created by love, for love, from love, on purpose, okay? So the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were in relationship with each other before creation. And that relationship was a perfect relationship. The theologian C.S. Lewis likens it to a dance. They were in this perfect dance of love. And out of that dance of love, they go, this is so good and we've got so much love that we need to share it with someone else. And so out of the love that the Trinity has and experiences, God creates humanity. So you were created by love, 
from love, for love, on purpose. And that's good news tonight because I need you to know that you're not an accident. You may have been an accident to your mom and dad. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were not an accident to God. He intentionally loves you, purposefully loves you, chose to love you. So I don't care what your mom and dad said about that one wild night in February when you were conceived. God says it was on purpose, that he set out to love you on purpose. So whoever is in the room tonight that feels like an accident and feels like a mistake, I need you to know you're not because he loves you and he created you. I thought, what could I say about creation and the Garden of Eden to communicate how he loves us? Well, if you look at the Garden of Eden, our first home teaches us that God loves us so much that he'll build our dream house for us. I need you to know tonight that Chip's love for Joanna ain't got nothing on God's love for you. He'll build your dream house, the Garden of Eden, crafted with beauty and abundance and splendor and joy. I thought a lot about what I could say about God making Eve for Adam to communicate how he loves us. If you read the creation account, you'll see that God makes Adam and says that it's not good for Adam to be alone. But if you'll do some diligent study, you'll see that Adam doesn't know that. There is no biblical account of Adam complaining. There's no account of Adam's loneliness. But God knows it's not good for Adam, for Adam to be alone. So what does God do? God lines all of the animals up and he brings them out two by two and shows that all of the animals have a mate and yet Adam does not. And so God puts Adam to sleep. God puts Adam behind a veil, if you will. And then in Genesis chapter two, verse 23, then God brought forth her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is my bone of bones and flesh of my flesh. This at last, Adam wakes up, Eve comes out from behind the veil and he goes, at last. So I like to go to weddings. Anybody else like to go to weddings in the house tonight? I like to dance. I like the speeches. I like the whole love that you feel in the air. I love it all, okay? Um, but one of the things that I love to do at weddings is when the bride rises to walk down the aisle and everybody looks at, at the bride, I love to look up at the groom. And I love to look up at the groom to see faces like that. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for faces like that. Do you know why? Come with me on this, because that's the face of at last. At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God loves you so much. How he loves us, he loves us that he would give us emotions like that. He would create us for connection like that. He would say that my love cannot just be, be contained in our relationship. I wanna give you another relationship to be able to experience this love. And you can take that picture down because that's a lot of embarrassment and I don't think I can handle it anymore. How amazing is it that God would want to give us a picture, a package, a demonstration, a tangible experience of his love? Now, I know that 
for those of you in the room or those of you watching online who like long for that and aspire for that and have yet to get it, you go, well, what about me? Well, then what about me? Why don't I have that if he loves me so much? And I want for you to think about this, that without him creating it, it would never be a possibility in the first place. Do you know what God's wedding gift is to you? Marriage. Like he thought it up. It was his idea. It was his concept. We don't even have the ability to aspire to without him. And yet as beautiful and as rich and as glorious as it is, it is yet just a shadow of the marriage that is to come. It is yet just a dim picture of what will happen when you see Jesus face to face. You will say, at last. And every longing you had here on planet Earth will be swallowed up in an instant when you see the look in his eyes. At last. How he loves. You know, I thought a lot about what I could say about the fall to communicate how he loves us. What I could say about God's response to sin entering the world. What I could say about his response to our rebellion, to our saying, I don't need you, God. I don't love you, God. I'll do it on my own. God, what could I say about that to communicate how he loves us? And what I realized is that God's response to the fall shows us that he loves us so much that he's willing to kill for you. Genesis chapter three, verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God's love makes the first sacrifice in the Bible and God's love makes the last sacrifice in the Bible. He loves you so much that he's willing to kill for you. I need you to know tonight that he's kind of like stalkerishly in love with you, willing to kill for you. I want for y'all to know we're just in Genesis chapter three. We're just in Genesis chapter three of how deeply, how much, how actively God loves us. Let's go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, verse six. This is the most repeated verse in the Bible by the Bible. The writers of the Bible repeat the Bible that's originally ran right here more than anything else. And so this is the great echo of the Bible over and over and over again. This is what it says. The Lord passed before him, that being Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. How does he love? By saying it, by communicating it. How many of you know tonight that it matters hearing someone say, I love you? Like I'm one of those weirdos who like won't hang up the phone without saying, I love you. Anybody else with me in the house tonight? Like I'm one of those people, I won't walk out the door without all of my kids. Like I look them in the eye, I love you. And I love you. And I love you. Like my kids think I love you as their middle name. Like I said, I love you so much to my daughter, Raleigh, that like I would just be like, hey, Raleigh, I love you. I'd be like, hey, Raleigh, what's up, girl? I love you. That... I would eventually ask her, I'd be like, hey, Riley, guess what? She'd be like, you love me? <laughs> Dang straight, girl. <laughs> Dang straight, I love you. So much so that now sometimes we'll be like in the car, I'll be taking her like to school in the morning and it'll be really quiet. And then she'll just go, hey, dad, I love you. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? 
Aren't you supposed to hear that so much and so often that it becomes a response from you back to your kids? Well, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, throughout the pages of the Bible, God's going, I love you. I said it. Like, I need you to know tonight, you're not just in the like, I like you phase with God. You remember this from relationships? When you would be like going out, you'd be dating, but I think I like them. I think I really like them. I think I might love them. I might drop the L-bomb. I might use the L-word. I might tell them I love them. And then you remember how big of a deal it was, like who was gonna say it first? Y'all remember this? Like back when you would be like on the phone and it would be so late at night, it'd be like 1 a.m. and you're just like listening to each other on the phone, like breathing. You say it. No, you say it. No, you say it. No, you say it. I love you. And it was, y'all remember this, right? If not, I don't know. I need to give you some dating tips or something, all right? This is the way that it went. And it was this big deal about who was going to say it first. Well, I need you to know that the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God said it first. He went out on the limb He was like, I'll make it awkward. I love you. Like, I don't know where you're at in faith tonight. You may be an atheist. You may be a doubter. You may be a skeptic. You might not know where you're at. You might not have defined the relationship with God yet, but he made it awkward. He goes, I love you. There it is. I said it. You're going to have to deal with it, respond to it. He loves us. I remember when I was in middle school, there was this thing that was really popular where girls would, y'all tell me if you remember this, where girls would write out their first name, but then they would write the last name of the guy that they was crushing on. You remember this? And like a lot of times they would just do it with celebrities, right? So they would be like, you know, my name is Julia, Julia Pitt, because they thought Brad Pitt was cute. And I'm like, I don't know. I'd never want Pitt as a last name personally. Like it just smells, you know, like not interested. But that's what girls would do. They'd be like, you know, Britney Cruz and Britney whatever. And so they'd usually do it with celebrities. But sometimes they would write, they would find some guy they were crushing on in school and they would write, you know, their name, like, you know, um, what, uh, Rebecca, you know, Smith. And they would write it like 30 times and they would just see how it looks and write it in cursive and practice their signature. And so what I spent a lot of time doing was like picking through garbage cans to see if McLaughlin was on the back end of anybody's name. Is anybody writing my name? Is anybody interested in me? Do you know what's so crazy? Is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 16, it says, See, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hands. Oh, how he loves. Like, I don't know what you've got in your mind when you conceive the love of God tonight, but do you feel this love, this like affectionate, desiring, pursuing, intimate love? This isn't just like a concept for God. This isn't just theology. This isn't just theory. This isn't just doctrine. This is real, true love. How he loves? By communicating. Now what you're thinking, well, Joey, it's, it's great to say it, but bro, show me. Don't tell me. Talk is cheap. He can say it. 
all he wants, but can he show me how has he demonstrated his love? And I want for you to know that he absolutely has shown you over and over and over again. That's what the point of the Bible is about, that he has shown you. Can I show you how he has shown you his love in this book? He's shown me how he loves in Genesis when he makes me with his hands. And he's shown me how he loves in Exodus when he delivers me from slavery. And he shows me how he loves in Leviticus when he grants me access to his presence. And he shows me how he loves in Numbers when he shelters me in cities of refuge. He shows me how he loves in Deuteronomy when he keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations. He shows me how he loves in Joshua when he gives me divine purpose, how he loves in Judges when he shows mercy in spite of my repeated failures, how he loves in Ruth when my kinsman redeemer grafts me into his family and I could keep on going. I could show you how he loves in Nehemiah when he rebuilds all that is broken and how he loves in Esther when he crowns me with worth and makes me royalty. How he loves in Job when he sustains me in suffering. How he loves in Psalms when he becomes my good shepherd. How he loves in Proverbs when he gives me wisdom more precious than rubies. How he loves in Ecclesiastes when he gives meaning to my meaninglessness. How he loves in Song of Songs when he becomes the lover of my soul and I could keep on going. How he loves in Daniel when he joins me in the fire. How he loves in Hosea when he pursues me to buy me back. How he loves me in Jonah when he runs after runaways. How he loves in Malachi when he pours out his blessing. I could show you that he has shown me how he loves in Matthew when he puts on human flesh to seek and save that which was lost. How he loves in Mark when he stills the storm of my soul. How he loves in Luke when he becomes the good Samaritan. How he loves in John when he gives me everlasting life. How he loves in Acts when his Holy Spirit comes to live in me. How he loves in Romans when he works all things together for the good of those who love him. I could show you what he's shown me if I were to open the book of James and show you that he loves me when he gives me a faith that works and how he loves me in 1 Peter when he gives me victory and suffering and in 2 Peter when he gives me everything I need for life and godliness, how he loves me in 1 John when he makes me clean, 2 John when he shows me how to finish well, 3 John when he gives me a place to rest, Jude when he presents me faultless before the throne and I could show you in Revelation how he loves me when he says that he's coming back for his beloved and precious bride. This is a book of how he loves. He wrote a love letter to show you how he loves you. And I could keep telling you tonight over and over and over again, all of the different dynamic, interesting ways that he loves you. But more than I just want for you to know about his love, I desperately, like I've been praying on my knees for you guys this week, that you wouldn't just know his love, but that you would experience his love. Okay. There, this is important. It is important for you to have a factual, concrete understanding of God's love, not just something that you feel, but something that you know. But it is also important for you to feel and have the feeling, the experiential feeling of God's love. Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter five, verse five says this. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What that scripture just said is not an idea, 
It's an experience. It's not knowledge about something. It's knowledge of something. That the Holy Spirit would pour into our hearts and that we would experience the God's love in that way. God's love poured into your heart is not the same as God's love proven to your mind. It's not wrong to conclude through careful study and research that God loves you. That would be a good thing to do, an important thing to do, a necessary thing to do. You can read the Bible and you can see that God's love is demonstrated in history, but the love of God is poured into your heart experientially through the Holy Spirit. This is the reason that we just spent weeks studying the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the way that God pours his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. The love of God isn't going to be poured into your heart if you stay closed off to the Holy Spirit. I want for you to think about this. If somebody was trying to pour something into you, onto you, and you stay closed off, you wouldn't catch as much of it. Now, you still might catch some of it, but you're gonna catch way more of it if you're opened up to it. So like, imagine for a second, for sake of illustration, one of those money tunnels. You know what I'm talking about? Like on a game show where it's like this clear glass thing and money's fault flying around all in it. Imagine you can go on that. And we're not talking about like $1 bills. We talking Benjamins, y'all, okay? So those $100 bills flying all around and your whole body's just sticky and you're trying to catch these $100 bills, what would you do? You would open yourself up, right? Just wide open. You wouldn't be like, oh, I hope I catch a $100 bill. It's not what you would do. You would open yourself wide up to catch it. And likewise, I want to ask you tonight, like right now, how open are you to receiving the love of God? Like, have you closed it off in your mind? Have you started to do some mental gymnastics? Have you maybe said, yeah, I've heard this message before. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Because that is closing yourself off. And the more that you'll open yourself up, the more that you'll open your hands and you'll open your heart and you'll open your mind and you'll say, God, I want it. I want to receive it. I want to know it. The more that you'll start to open up his word, the more the Holy Spirit will pour love in your heart. The more that you will open yourself up in worship, the more the Holy Spirit will pour his love in your heart. You're not going to be able to experience the fullness of God's love if you stay close off to the Holy Spirit. God loves you emotionally. That is how he loves. Like, I want for you to know that. And I want for you to know that not because, like, this is progressive, make you feel good Christianity, but because that's a Bible, okay? It's Bible that God loves you emotionally. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says he loves you so much that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Psalm 56, eight says he loves you so much that he saves your tears in a bottle. Zephaniah 3.17 says he rejoices over you with singing. Jeremiah 31.3 says he loves you with an everlasting love. 1 John 4.18 says his love is perfect. Song of Solomon 8.6 says his love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. And David, don't miss this. And Psalm 63.3 says, his love is better than life. God wants to give you emotive experiences of how deeply he loves you. That's why we sit in his presence. That's why we show up to worship with other believers. That's why we listen to the word being preached. That's why we tell stories of his love transforming people's lives so that we can experience it afresh again. Now, I don't want for you to, please, 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 do not hear this message 
and think that what I'm saying is that you can somehow have an experience of God's love that is just like perfect and to its fullest extent and in complete perfection every day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're going to walk to the mail just singing love songs about Jesus tomorrow. I'm not saying that when you wake up in the morning, your first thought is always gonna be, oh, he loves me so much. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there are moments, there are times, there are experiences that God wants to give you where you experience and you feel and you know his love. I don't want this to be realism. I don't, I want for you to know that this experience of God's love, like it varies at times from saint to saint, from day to day. Like for some right now, you're feeling the love of God and it is like red hot in your heart. It is burning and blazing. You would do anything for him because you know how deeply the things that he's done for you. And then others, it feels a little cold, feels a little dry, feels a little stale right now, but you're hoping like right now, even maybe throughout this message and this night, something's happening. You feel like maybe these embers are starting to get blown on. And, and I just want for you to know that this can be sought, this can be pursued, this can be found like some of you right now you may be feeling the love of God very deeply and tangibly and tomorrow you might wake up and go where did it go where did it go like that's that's real that happens that's natural that's a part of this and I want for you to know that if it if it was the other ways if you felt all of God's love all of the time you wouldn't get anything done think about that for a second if you had all of God's love, all of the time, you would likely just being like crying and writing poetry all day. Your posture, if you had God's love, all of God's love, all the time would just be like, worship, just, this is all I can do. Can I hold the kid? Nope. Can I do the dishes? Nope. Can I take out the trash? Nope. Just sin in God's love. I mean, it's so much more real than we would like to admit. Like, think about it like, relationally like the moments that people show total love like the moment of a proposal when somebody proposes when a guy gets down on one knee and you know last first kiss that song playing everybody knows that song that's a great song okay but he gets down on one knee and he proposes and she turns and she sees him and what she's emotionally overwhelmed because right now in that moment he is giving her all of the love that he has to give and so she is overwhelmed she's crying she's like snotty crying she's snarling like everybody's trying to take cute pictures you can't take cute cute pictures in that moment because you're so emotional and overwhelmed imagine staying in that every day you can't stay in that every day and a lot of us we act like with God that we should that somehow we should experience the fullness of his love every single day. And I want for you to know that he loves you, yes, and wants to give you those deep experiences of his love, but a mature understanding of his love is much deeper than that. It's a whole lot deeper than that. You see, it would be like me, this is what a lot of us do with God. It'd be like me doing this with Kayla, like acting like Kayla doesn't deeply love me because when I come home from work, I don't feel like Cupid shot me in the heart with an arrow. And then all of a sudden, Celine Dion and Whitney Houston started playing at the exact same time. And bottles of Cristal started popping. 
and glitter started falling from the ceiling and birds burst through the window and started singing songs. And then Snow White came in with all of the animals and then Cinderella came in with her beautiful gown. And, and you know, we just got caught up in this beautiful love affair. And because I don't experience that, when I come home from work, Kayla must just not love me. And that's what we do with God. I neglect the fact that, you know, she's been watching my three kids all day long, our three kids all day long. I neglect the fact that she's cared for our home and that she's made meals and that she's encouraged me and comforted me. And that when I get sick, I turn into a 190 pound baby. And yet she still sacrificially cares for me and waits on me hand and foot. But I neglect all of that because I don't feel her love right now. And that reality, that ideology is the reason that America experiences so much divorce and the reason that people fall into so much atheism. Because we act like love is a feeling and love is a feeling, but it's so much more than a feeling. Love is commitment. And what God wants you to know is that he loves you and the fact that he's committed to you. He's relationally committed to you. We see it throughout pages of the Bible, the dynamic ways that God is relationally committed to you. John 15, 15, Jesus says that he loves you as a friend. And in Hebrews 2, 11, Jesus loves you as a brother. And in Luke 5, 31, Jesus loves you, I love this one, as a doctor loves his patient. And in John 15, 1, Jesus loves you as a gardener loves his garden. You ever thought about that? In Revelation 21, 2, Jesus loves you as a husband loves his bride. A husband that really loves his bride does not count on emotions to be the thing that sustains, but the commitment, the promise, the covenant that he made. And God has made a covenant, a promise, a commitment to love you, to be faithful to you, to walk with you, to pursue you, to let his mercy rest upon you, to have his grace overwhelm you. So don't be so hyper-focused on one aspect of how he loves that you forget all the rest. Don't forsake that which is most precious because you don't feel something right now. Oh, how he loves. When you don't feel it, I just want to contend and fight and encourage for you to believe it, for you to see it. I heard this. We were having conversations about the love of God on the team and, we're asking people, when's the first time that you felt the love of God? When's the first time you experienced the love of God? And somebody said something so unbelievably profound. They said, I've never felt the love of God, but I know it. I know it, and I'm not going to let my feelings trump the facts. The facts are that he has proved his love for me. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, see Behold, look, put your eyes upon, gaze at what great love the Father have, has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. When you doubt that he loves you, 
When you question if he loves you, when you're not sure if he loves you, you remind yourself that he calls you his kid, that he's adopted you into his family, that he's made you his own, that he's put his name upon you, that all that is his is yours, that his inheritance is your inheritance, that you are a co-heir with Christ, that you're in the family of God. He loves you. How? As a father loves a kid. Now, this is what I know, being a kid and then being a father, is that no kid really knows the love of a father. They don't. It's impossible. I remember being a child, and then I, rem- I know now being a parent. And when I was a child, I had no idea how much my parents loved me. No idea. You can't. It's just impossible. Like, you think you do. You're like, oh, yeah, when I grow up, I'm going to really love my kids. And, you know, it's going to make me. But until you have kids of your own, you don't know, okay? I remember all of the time, I would just catch my mom staring at me. She'd just be staring at me. Even to this day, she'd be staring at me. I'd be like, mom, what are you looking at? She'd be like, just you. My sweet baby boy, you. I'm like, mom, I'm a grown man. That's weird. Cut it out, you know? But that's how a parent loves, because then I get a kid of my own, and do you know what I'm doing? Just staring at little old you, sweet baby Lenny. All you do is poop and cry and scream, and yet I'm just staring at you. Why? Because it's my kid, and I love her. Having a, having a parent just changes you. Like, you just start thinking about like their future and you start thinking about the things that are going to happen to them and like the like I'm already thinking about the little boys that I'm going to break when they break her heart okay I'm already thinking about like I've drawn up this contract that they're going to have to sign where I'm going to like they're going to agree to be buried in a desert like in a far off place if they hurt her like I'm already thinking about that stuff because I just I love my kids. I love them so much. And I'm already thinking about, like, the celebrations that I'm going to have for them. Like, when Haddon turns, like, three. Like, I'm already thinking about his, he just turned two. I'm already thinking about his next birthday, right? Like, ways that we're going to celebrate. I'm already thinking about snowboard trips that we're going to take and surfing trips that we're going to go on. And, like, literally today, I was just telling him, I was like, Haddon, do you want to go to a basketball game with Daddy? He was like, yeah. (laughs) Haddon, do you want to go climb a mountain with Daddy? Yeah. (laughs) Haddon, do you want to go on a road trip with Daddy? Yeah. Adam, do you want to cut the grass with daddy? No. <laughs> it was just awesome, right? But I'm, I'm already thinking and conceiving and dreaming about these things that I want to do with my kids. Like I think about their wedding day and then I just stop because I don't want to think about it. You know, real quick, I'm just like, no, don't want to think about that day that you walk down the aisle. Like there's all these things that start to happen when you have kids. Like I start thinking about like when they, you know, get older and they're in school and my oldest is six. But I started thinking about like when they come home and they're like doing their homework and they ask daddy for help. Daddy, can you help me with my homework? And you know, I'm trying to solve this math problem. Can you help me with math? And I'm not very good at math, okay? Like I hate math. Um, and so the other day I, I, I thought about Raleigh asking me for help with her math homework and I found myself getting upset with the concept of math. I was like mad at math for math frustrating her. I was like, who is this math guy? Can we find him? Cause I'm gonna hurt him, right? And it wasn't even a real situation, but that's how much I love this little girl. I don't know at what point it happened for me or at what point it clicked within me, but there was one day where I was 
holding Raleigh and I was looking into her eyes and I was rocking her back and forth probably up at 2 a.m. because she would not sleep and she would not eat. And so all I could do was hold her. And I remember looking at her and not being angry, but just being like in love and thinking, God, this is how you feel about me? You'll love me like this? You'll stay up through the night with me? I'll act a fool and you won't care. You'll be patient and kind. You'll provide. You'll stay up through the night for me. This is how you love me. Now, what did Raleigh do? What did my kids do to deserve that kind of love? Absolutely nothing. You see, we live in a day and age of performance-based love where we think that God will only love us if we perform for him. God will love us if we're good. God will love us if we do right. God will love us if we show up. God will love us, but God does not love you based upon your performance. God loves you based upon your position, and your position is that you're his kids, that you're in his family, that he's put his name upon you, and that he has great affection towards you. God demonstrates his love for his kids who run away from him and who do not walk with him and who do not listen to him by giving up his son to get him back, to get us back in his family. You see, one of the things that happens in our day and age is God's love starts to come under assault in our culture. And we play a lot of different games with God's love and we act like somehow we could be good parents that love our kids despite their failures, but God could never love us despite our failures. And then we play this other game with God, like, which is kind of the opposite of it. And we play this game where we act like we, like God doesn't love us because our life hasn't gone exactly the way that we want it. And we, this is really important for someone tonight. We look at our circumstances and we determine because our circumstances aren't what we want them to be that God could never love us. Oh, God could never love me because. God, if God really loved me, then this wouldn't have happened. If God really loved me, then he wouldn't have allowed this to take place. How could a loving God, insert the blank, and I just wanna like pastor you for a second because like I've sat in that pain, that real agonizing pain before. Kayla and I, after we had Raleigh and many of you know the story, um, went through back-to-back -back miscarriages and years of infertility where we wanted so badly to have a kid but couldn't have one. And we found ourselves shaking our fist at God saying, God, but weren't we good for you? Haven't we loved you? Haven't we pledged our life to you? Didn't we go into the ministry for you? Don't we read the Bible all the time and have people in our home to make disciples? And haven't I sang you a million worship songs? And haven't I preached for you a thousand sermons? And haven't I said I would go anywhere and do anything for you? How could you do this to me? think that some of you might find yourself in that place tonight where something has happened to you, something really devastating has happened to you, heartbreaking has happened to you in your life, whether it was abuse or misuse, whether it was a, a tragedy, but something happened. This, 
and, and you've drifted into this place of lack, this place of despair, this place of there's no way that he loves me because of what's happened to me. And I just want to try to help pull you out of that tonight to know that his love for you is not that he will give you everything that you want, but that he will become everything that you need when life so greatly disappoints. His great love, is, his great faithfulness is not to give you the things that you want, but to show you that he is what your heart so desperately wants. His faithfulness is to be there when no one else will. And to prove that he is enough. I need you to know tonight that I know how he loves. Not because after all of that he finally gave me a son. I know that he loves because he, God, was willing to give up his son for me. That's how I know he loves. Because he proved it. The first time the word love appears in the Bibles in Genesis. Genesis chapter 22 verse 2. And it's a story about a father and a son. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. How interesting. This book that, as I've showed you tonight, is undoubtedly about love from cover to cover, start to finish. The first time the word love appears in this book is a story about a father and a son. It's the first time, first trace of love. God looks at Abraham who wanted a child but couldn't have a child, who waited a hundred years for a promise. And then he finally gets it. God says, I want for you to take him, Isaac, whom you love. It's almost as if this understanding of father and son, of parent and child is so clearly connected to love that God invents this word. He pushes it into the human vernacular as the only response, the only identification of the relationship between a parent and a child. Take your son. Whom you love take him up on this mountain where I will show you and if you know the story Abraham and Isaac they walk up this hill and Isaac is carrying wood on his back because he's going to make this altar where he will be sacrificed and he doesn't know it but he's walking up this hill and he's asking where's the sacrifice dad where's the sacrifice dad and every step of the way Abraham knows that Isaac is gonna be the sacrifice get up to the top of the hill and Abraham lifts his knife to the thing that he loves the most and he goes to lay his hand to the slaughter and God says stop no don't do it untie the boy and he looks over and in a bush and some briars there's a lamb there's a goat and God provides this sacrifice and Abraham and Isaac they take the goat and they slaughter it on that wood that Abraham carried or that Isaac carried on his back up the hill and they sacrificed the goat and the father and the son get to walk down the mountain. It's the first time the word love appears in the Bible. And how crazy is it that it is an echo 
It is a picture. It is a shadow of God's greatest demonstration of love for us. First John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How he loves is by sending his son up another mountain that he would not come down from. But that he would take that wood that he carried and he would die upon it for you and me. This is the greatest demonstration of his love. By this we know love. Not by songs, not by feelings, not by emotions, not by doctrines, not by theologies, but by this, that he laid down his life for us. Every step that Jesus took towards the cross was a step of love that he took towards you and me. You pull away, he takes another step. You punch him in his face, he takes another step. You spit in his face, he takes another step. You pull out his beard, he takes another step. You say, I can't think of this love. He puts a crown of thorns on his head. You try to step away, his feet get nailed to the cross. You pull your arm, his hand gets nailed. You say, I don't feel it in my heart. Well, it's okay because the Bible says that his heart was full of water and blood and it burst forth so that the Holy Spirit could come and pour his love into your heart today so that you can know that he died for you. He paid the price for you. He became sin for you while you were a sinner. See, the great challenge of preaching in modern world is that we think we're so lovable we think we're so beautiful. We think we're so enough. And it would be great if God loved a lovely person, but a greater love is that God love sets his love on broken people and it's his love that makes you lovely. You see, it's his worth that makes you worthy. It's his grace that makes you new. So while you're in your sin, not when you were good or put together or perfect or whole or pretty or righteous or holy, but while you were a sinner who rebelled against God, while you were caught up in an affair, while you were lying and cheating, while you were having sex outside of marriage, while you were looking at pornography, while you were caught up in that addiction, while you were drinking your pain away, he loved you. He didn't die for you when you were pretty. He died for you when you were broken, and that's what makes this so beautiful. I want to close tonight by telling this story, and it's a story that has always stuck with me ever since I heard it. And the story goes, a pastor was discipling a girl, and uh, this girl had a kid out of wedlock, and she was currently in an extramarital affair. And he was trying to teach her about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. So he convinced her to come one night to hear his friend play some music. She agreed. And they went and the music was terrific and awesome. But at the end of the music set, a pastor got up and he said, tonight I want to talk to you about sex. So he took 
arose and he passed it out in the audience and he said, hey, I want for you to pass this around, touch it, smell it, and as you do, I'm gonna teach. Went on with this message. And as the story goes, this pastor preached the most horrible sermon on what sex is and what sex isn't that had ever been preached. It was fear-mongering at its best. It was shame-filled. You could just feel the sense of shame in the room. At the end of the night, the, the pastor, his crescendo, I mean, his big point was to ask, who's got my rose? Who's got my rose? Where is it? Where is it? And he takes the rose and Sure enough, it's broken and petals are just hanging off of it and it just looks like a hot mess. And he takes the rose and he holds it up, broken and battered. And he goes, now who would want this? Who would want this rose? And the pastor telling this story who's sitting in the audience says, with this girl sitting next to him who has to feel exactly like that rose, broken and dirty and shame-filled and unwanted. He said it takes everything in him to not yell out at the top of his lung, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. It's the whole point of the gospel that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and I, that we might know how he loves us. Would you pray with me tonight? God, I thank you that you love like a creator loves their creation, like a child loves their very best friend, like an older brother loves their younger sibling, and like a master gardener watches over their lilies. God, I thank you that you love like a shepherd who loves his lost sheep and like an old woman who searched for her lost coin. God, that you love like a sacrificial warrior that rides into battle on a donkey, but who returns victorious riding on a white horse. God, I thank you that you love like a committed husband pursuing his adulterous wife, that you love like a father who will do whatever it takes to bring his kid back home. I just want to give an opportunity for you to respond to the love of God tonight. I don't know where you came in here. I don't know what you were carrying or holding or thinking or believing, but if you want to receive the love of God tonight, and I want for you to know that John 3, 16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life, full life, true life is available to you. You receive it by believing in the love of God. So if you want that, then just every head bowed and every eye closed, just pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I know I've sinned, but I believe you love me anyways. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. I give my life to your love today. If you prayed that, then God's word tells us that the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart so that he can pour love in each and every day. And I just wanna mark this moment with you. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three. And just as a sign of surrendering to the love of God, receiving the love of God, would you lift your hand up in the air today on the count of three? One, two, three. Come on, amen. Amen. Amen.